This is Nick Redding, and you're listening to PreserveCast, a podcast with a worldwide listenership that explores the broad world of preservation from every angle, from drones to mudlarking and everything in between. Now, let's get preserving. On this week's PreserveCast, we're talking with Carissa Damore from Historic New England about their New England Summit happening this Thursday, October 13th through Friday, October 14th. This two-day event will be full of conversations exploring how 21st century challenges and opportunities are transforming the fields of historic preservation, architecture, urban planning, conservation, arts and culture, museum studies, collection management, public history, and education. If you're interested, you can still participate. Join the summit virtually via live stream for both daytime sessions. Grab your tickets now. This is Nick Redding. You're listening to PreserveCast today. We're excited to be joined by Carissa Damore, uh, and we're going to be talking all things about preservation, specifically preservation up in New England, where she works at Historic New England, and about a pretty exciting convening that's coming together, the Historic New England Summit, um, which uh, is going to bring together people from all across New England and all across the country, for that matter. Um, but before we get into that, Carissa, it's, it's fun to have you here Um, You're a team leader of preservation at Historic New England. But before we get into that, where did you grow up and what led you to this work in preservation? What was your uh, first job in the field and your path into all of this? Sure, sure. So it's such a pleasure to be here today and and, um, nice to to hit a little bit of a mid-Atlantic vibe again, too. I'm uh, an alum of the University of Maryland, so uh, shout out to that group. Um, But I am actually a Colorado uh, a person originally, I grew up in the suburbs of Denver, um, and I can remember visiting historic places like um, the Molly Brown House in Denver. Um, really tended to think of historic places in the context of that kind of museum visit, and I didn't necessarily recognize the larger kind of neighborhood or landscape context around them. That is, of course, historic and wonderfully interesting, um, but that that just wasn't how I was looking at it um, when I was growing up. Um, my family was also really outdoorsy. Um, so we spent a lot of time in the mountains, hiking, camping, snowshoeing, that kind of thing. Um, so places like Rocky Mountain National Park had, um, just enormous influence on me. Um, and with all of that in mind, I actually studied landscape architecture first in undergrad, um, trying to find that link between culture and nature. Um, and I enjoyed the creativity of that process, but I also, found that I wanted to spend more time thinking about the history of the places that we were designing for. Um, and a couple of years out, out of school, I actually realized um, that I wanted to work in a more mission-driven space as well, somewhere that was really deeply committed to making a difference in people's lives. So I'd heard of historic preservation by that point um, as a concept, and I, I decided to pursue it. Um, and I came east for graduate school, and um, that was an awesome program, and uh, and it really helped me to figure out what this whole preservation movement is all about. And what was your first job in the field? Was it with Historic New England? So it was not, actually. So I loved grad school in that I did every internship I could possibly get my hands on. Um, I really liked to wear lots of hats. Um, so my first paid position actually developed out of an internship. Uh, that I had with the city of Annapolis, um, working with, um, at that point, the wonderful Lisa Craig um, to kickstart the city's Main Street program. Um, And that was a really eye-opening experience um, about all of the different creative ways 
that you have to employ to advance and support preservation work. Um, things like economic development, public programs, advocacy, education, just the whole, the whole gamut. Um, also a huge lesson in terms of um, networking and creating as broad a stakeholder group as you can. Um, and I also had just um, some fantastic mentors during that time that showed me how important it is to work with um, dynamic, energetic people who want to share their knowledge and experience. Um, and that's really something that I've tried to carry forward in my work with Historic New England. Well, and, and knowing how difficult um, the Main Street movement is and, and, the, and the challenges of setting that up in Annapolis, that was a very diplomatic answer, too, about <laughs> about what you learned there, because I'm, I'm sure there was um, some interesting lessons that you couldn't ask for a more challenging place to make all that happen, um, but a more rewarding place, too. Pretty cool. Absolutely. So you end up at Historic New England um, and... You're the team leader of preservation. So before we get into that, what is Historic New England? Um, give Paint us a picture of, of its history and its scale now, and then we'll talk about the work that you do there day to day. Oh, sure, sure. So Historic New England, um, some of the listeners may know uh, by its old name, the Society for the Preservation of New England Antiquities, SPINEA. Um, but it is an organization that has spent 112 years protecting and sharing the full New England experience, everything past to present. Um, so today we preserve and interpret 38 public historic sites all across the region. Uh, we have the world's largest archive and collection of New England history. We protect 119 properties with preservation easements um, in addition to those 38 public sites. And we do just countless public engagement programs. Um, so all of that is meant to really deepen appreciation for the region's history um, and advance livability and sustainability of our communities today and, and into the future. So it's a pretty big operation. I mean, in scope and scale, it's got to be one of the largest um, historic property owners, certainly not only in historic in New England, but in the country. I mean, you're, you're operating more properties, certainly, than the National Trust for Historic Preservation. Um, and do you have sort of the preservation advocacy focus that a lot of people think of, like when it comes to preservation groups? Are you out there kind of making the case for community and supporting them? Or is it more property ownership and management? So it's a combination of things. Um, and we, over our history, we've gone um, back and forth in terms of how much direct advocacy we've done. Today, we don't do um, a huge amount of advocacy in the sense of, of, um, of campaigning in front of legislators, for instance, but, but we try and advocate in terms of educating broad audiences about the value of preservation. And we do engage um, very much when we see preservation issues arise that would Im impact the communities where we have historic sites or would impact the preservation movement more broadly across the region or across the country. Um, so we're involved in, in a variety of, of um, behind-the-scenes advocacy initiatives, if you will. So as preservation team leader, talk to us about what that means and the, the, the scope of your work um, with the organization. Sure, sure. So I manage Historic New England's preservation outreach, um, and that's in terms of uh, legal, programmatic, and advocacy initiatives um, to protect historic places beyond the properties that the organization actually owns. I am looking outside of our boundaries. Um, and that includes everything from managing the preservation easement program 
um, to advocating when um, when there are needs um, or threats to our properties or um, new policies or project proposals that we can help shape a positive outcome relative to. Um, and also coordinating things like conferences and workshops to educate people about preservation issues and, and techniques. So it's probably a good segue into workshops. This, From what I can gather, and correct me if I'm wrong, but this is the largest convening historic New England has ever put together as far as like oh, like this kind of convening. I, mean, I Presumably you've done big things before. Um, in 112 years, there's probably been a lot of different things that you've done. But in terms of like a conference, is this one of the largest and a first almost? Exactly. Yes. Yes. So the Historic New England Summit, um, it is our first major convening in 112 years. So in a lot of ways, it's about time. Um, we've had uh, smaller symposia and workshops and things many times in the past. But at this event, we are really excited to welcome over 500 people to the summit, um, which is just, the, it's absolutely the largest preservation conference happening in New England. Um, and a really fantastic opportunity to bring together just a, a multidisciplinary group of people, um, you know, preservation professionals, civic leaders, philanthropists, students, um, to have really important, timely conversations about how preservation is essential to the vitality of our communities, how it's responding to some of the most urgent issues um, imp- impacting our built environment. I mean, and it's 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 uh, interesting in that as a 112 year old organization, getting to be the f- to do something for the first time is probably pretty challenging. Like anytime you're like, I bet this is the first time we've done this, and they're like, Well, actually, 1946 we did this. And you're like, okay. <laughs> But 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 this is this is a first. So and uh, before we dive into the the content of it, we might take a break before we get there. Um, how um, were you expecting the scale? Like I, I'm impressed. I mean, you talk about one of the biggest convenings in New England, but this is one of the biggest convenings for preservation in the country, particularly since the National Trust has moved to a virtual conference model. Um, and I think that regional on the ground convenings are perhaps even more important than than those national convenings because they speak to the needs of a region and and really all preservation is local. So um, I think it's critical that groups like Historic New England are doing this is why we want to focus on it because we think that there's um, some lessons here not only uh, for what you guys are doing, but you know if the Southwest wants to do one, they should do one as well. Um, were you expecting the numbers that you got? Because that seems like a huge amount of people. It's, it is... Um bigger than we expected. We had initially hoped for 400 people to join us at the summit. And and the fact that we've already exceeded 500 is fantastic. And it speaks to the fact that this is something that we are all craving, I think, at this point. This is a combination of an in-person and a virtual conference. So folks can can attend in either way. But so many are, are going to join us in Worcester at Mechanics Hall for this two-day event. I think it just shows that we are all ready to get back together and start having these in-person conversations. Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 uh, again, in the interest of full disclosure, I am speaking, uh, although, um, I've been told that my, my attendance has nothing to do with the, the large, um, uh, <laughs> registrations. They, so, but, but it I am totally excited. does. It yes, totally does. <laughs> yeah. They heard it here on preserve cast and they were like, we've got to see this guy in person. Um, but I am excited to be talking alongside, um, 
Sarah uh, Turner from the North Bennett Street School and talking about trades and all that kind of cool stuff and just really thrilled to be there. So let's take a quick break, come back, talk about the conference, how people can get engaged because maybe they're hearing this. The conference is going to be happening in a few days and they're like, oh, well, I wish I could participate, but I can't make it to Worcester. And I live in Peoria, so how can I be a part of this? And there's a way to do it, which is really cool. And that's why we have you here on PreserveCast. So we'll do that when we come right back. Historic preservation can't happen without skilled tradespeople to perform the work. And there's a critical need right now for those tradespeople. The Campaign for Historic Trades, powered by Preservation Maryland, is working to meet that need by strengthening apprenticeship opportunities within historic trades. In partnership with the National Park Service's Historic Preservation Training Center and Conservation Legacy, the campaign is currently recruiting for NPS Traditional Trades Apprenticeship Program, or TTAP. TTAP is an intensive 20-week apprenticeship that provides young adults the chance to learn historic trade skills while working on America's most iconic historic sites. Multiple positions are open for the 2022 season at national parks across the country. Visit historictrades.org for more information on TTAP and how to apply today. This is Nick Redding. You're listening to PreserveCast. Super excited today to be joined by Carissa DeMore, um, preservation team leader at Historic New England. We've been talking about the long and, and storied history of this organization and how uh, they're pulling together this really exciting um, and dynamic conference. Um, and it's going to be in person in Worcester, Mass. But if you can't make it in person, it's also going to be um, a hybrid event able to be watched virtually. So we've talked about how big this is and sort of the vaguely the purpose of it. Um, what was sort of the the impetus for this? Like why, you know, was it, oh my gosh, we got to get people together? Is it a new shot in the arm for historic New England and sort of new endeavors? Talk to us a little bit about that and then we'll talk about the specifics and what people can expect and how they can tune in. Sure, sure. So it's it's a couple of different reasons that we're having this this summit. Um, the main driver is that there is just this urgency to the issues that we're facing, and and I think we all know them. Things like social justice, affordability, sustainability, um, and we recognize that the cultural community, the preservation community, can be such a major driver in finding productive, positive paths forward in those those big thorny situations. Um, so having a conference where we can really unpack what those issues are and the many creative, innovative strategies that are being employed um, was really important to us. And then on top of it, it's also about bringing people together. Um, it's making space to focus on the preservation movement. A movement takes movement. Um, so looking in that forward thinking kind of way, looking at new strategies um, and really getting the voices of of some of the most um, uh, kind of leading professionals uh, across the country to to explore these issues was just a really important um, component of why we're doing this. Well, I hope that that phrase is like on the conference bag or something like that. I hope a movement takes movement. Is that are you guys <laughs> using that? Is that or did you just come up with that on the spot? I just came up with that, so now we'll oh, we'll damn. see. <laughs> yeah, get that get that onto the slide deck. Um, so. So what can people expect in terms of content? What kind of content is going to be on there? And then maybe we'll talk about how they can tune in remotely. Sure. So this is going to be a really dynamic, like you say, a really dynamic conference. Um, we have over 50 speakers taking the stage over two wow. days. Um, and with everybody in plenary, um, the whole time, we're all going to be uh, taking part in the same 
um, conversations. You don't have to pick and choose. Let me interrupt you there for a second, because I think that that is so cool. And I love that because I hate when you go to a conference and, you know, it's like, well, there's 17 different choices in the next hour. And I guess I'm going with this one. And then you go into it and you're like, this was a mistake. But (laughs) I now now I I can't leave, you know, that kind of thing. I love that you're keeping everybody together because it also keeps the conversation, you know, particularly for those people who are there in person, you know, kind of focused, right? Because everybody's like, wow, I, I heard that too. What did you think about this? Where instead of like, well, did you hear this? Oh, no, I was in, I was in the one about, you know, fenestrations. So I, I didn't hear, <laughs> I didn't hear about this one. I think that that's so cool. I also imagine, you know, talking about sort of like lessons for people around the country thinking about this. I have to imagine that's a little bit easier to assemble too, because it's like, here's the focus and we're going to keep people moving instead of having to have 17 different speakers, you know, constantly going. So I think that that's a really cool model. I I, I like that idea a lot. So you've got these people having this conversation. What are the conversations kind of revolving around? Absolutely. So we've got we've got really big themes. We are starting the whole conference off with a focus around um, diversity, inclusion and equity and really focusing on how are we transforming the stories that we're telling the way that history is reflected um, in the work that we all do. Um, So it's just an important theme that I think is going to carry across both days, actually, Um, recognizing that there are um, components of sustainability, thinking Friday morning as we talk about climate change and resiliency, that also has diversity and inclusion components to it, of course, um, on Thursday afternoon, we are taking a hard look at how some really big spaces are transforming in New England. How can um, communities with industrial architecture be transformed um, to meet 21st century needs using that historic fabric? And we're doing that um, by literally having a provocation about historic New England's own um, building. We have a really large shoe factory in Haverhill, Massachusetts, that is um, the location where we store all of our collections that aren't out at the, the historic houses. And that building is um, a perfect opportunity to become more accessible, more transparent, more of a, a community resource rather than just a storage facility. Um, So what we've done is present that sort of provocation to three leading architecture firms, internationally recognized architecture firms. And they have been, uh, this whole summer, they've been putting together uh, design responses to that that question of what is the future of this building in Haverhill. Um, And they're going to stand those up on the stage on Thursday afternoon, and we're going to talk about it. Um, So it'll be a really exciting way to reimagine our our post-industrial communities. so in any case, I think we're, we're just really excited to have all of these conversations started at the summit and knowing that the topics are so big and rich that this is only the beginning of these conversations. There's no way that we're going to cover everything um, for any one of the subjects on stage. And so we're hoping that as folks attend the summit, they take away the ideas and the contacts and the network and continue the conversation going forward. Um, this will also be an annual event, so we're really excited to do it again next year and the year after that and uh, and strengthen the network of, of the preservation movement um, going forward. So if people are listening and they're excited about this, but they aren't in Massachusetts or they can't make it, is there still a way for them to tune in and listen and be a part of this? Absolutely. So the whole conference is um, both live and live streamed, and we've thought really carefully about how we're live streaming this. Um, so it's possible, and you can sign up for it at uh, summit.historicnewengland.org. 
um, and you're welcome to attend either way. And I think you'll get the full experience, um, whether you're with us in the room or you're online. And we'll put a link to that in the show notes so that people can jump on and do that um, and uh, listen into all these different sessions. It's going to be pretty exciting to see how this all comes together. Um, so what's next for you beyond this conference? So you get yourself through the conference, then you take a week vacation, then what happens? So I am, um, I am involved in a whole lot of different things that will continue on after the summit, um, including pl uh, planning future summits, of course. But um, I'm also involved in a couple of Historic New England's major uh, initiatives, both the Haverhill Project that I was talking about, this this reimagining of our collections facility, um, and also a reimagining of our property in Boston's West End, the Otis House. Um, these are kind of two sides of the same coin in that um, the Otis House reflects um, this, this single home, really, um, really ornamental architecture, um, interesting story, and it is surrounded by um, new development and new development activity that's going on right now. So we're we're figuring out how to reimagine that site to be um, again more accessible and more engaged with the community, but in the face of these really big projects that are happening around it. It's a little bit like that. Um, was it the Little House? Was the book about yeah, the little right? right? Um, so that's that's one side, and then the Haverhill Project is the other side, which is the factory that drove so much of the activity in Boston. Um, throughout the 19th and early 20th centuries, um, telling much more of an immigrant story uh, with its history. So looking at how both of those facilities will be reimagined to meet the needs of a community today, to respond to different sort of economic pressures, uh, different development pressures is a lot of fun. Well, it's exciting stuff and, and stuff we should cover in another episode. Um, <laughs> before we... Um say goodbye here though we ask everyone and it's normally a painful question what is your favorite historic place or site and you can you can basically say well of course all of historic new england's collection but beyond that and i will say yes historic yes. new england's collection is is wonderful so um worth worth visiting any of them uh, i love all of our children equally um but i i would say so i've had the really uh, incredible opportunity to visit a lot of amazing historic places places like Mesa Verde or the Duomo in Florence or H.H. H. Richardson's bedroom, um, where you can literally still see the pin marks from uh, where he pinned architectural drawings to his bedroom walls um, in the final years of his life as he was basically operating his architectural practice out of this room. Um, they're incredible places. They're compelling. Um, but the places that I love the most are actually being in um, people's kitchens in their historic houses. Um, so I've sat with a cup of coffee across the table from someone and getting to hear them tell the story of how their family has, over the course of several generations, maintained a farm or cooked dinner on the cast iron stove next to us is such a special experience. And that's actually what, what stands out to me as the most kind of resonant the most real moment working with historic places. Um, that's the part where we all feel the most connected to this, this web of cultural history. So I like that a lot. Are, those are my favorites. <laughs> that would make a great uh, coffee table book too. <laughs> Absolutely. Car Carissa coffee and historic structures. Um, so this is so much fun. Looking forward to uh, personally getting to see you in person uh, in a couple of weeks. And then uh, also for people listening who want to tune in, uh, click on the show notes 
um, jump on there and figure out how to get yourself signed up so you can participate in all of this. Uh, thanks so much for joining us today. This has been fun. It was a pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks for listening to PreserveCast. To dig deeper into this episode's story, head over to PreserveCast.org for show notes and our collection of previous episodes. Don't forget to engage with this podcast by subscribing, commenting, and leaving a review. Follow along on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at PreserveCast for even more. PreserveCast is currently recorded in Walkersville, Maryland, and sponsored by the 1772 Foundation and powered by Preservation Maryland. Thanks for listening and keep on preserving.